This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is a Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle. Back once again with my co-host, fellow senior writer Dan Murphy. How's it going, Dan? I'm doing well. I'm doing uh, doing pretty good, and uh, no complaints. Yes, Not that anyone would listen, but no complaints. <laughs> and uh, pretty quick turnaround for us. We were here just a few days ago, but as you mentioned uh, at the end of the podcast, it's Ladies' Night here on the PWI podcast. Ladies' Night <laughs> drinks half off. It's a special. That's it. Yeah, that's uh, it's the Women's 100 episode, and. Uh, uh, it's been a lot of work uh, on on my end, I guess, and uh, I'm really excited that it's finally out. Yes, and when uh, does the digital edition drop? I think it is this Thursday, right? The November 1st. Yes, So digital right. edition, November 1st. The uh, print edition will be out a couple, maybe two to three weeks after that, but certainly get to pwi-online.com. It's available for digital download for purchase there, and, uh, you know, it's it's definitely worth it. I, I, can't, uh, I, I can't endorse in a... a, a uh, issue as as much as i'll endorse this one I'm, I'm really proud of what we were able to put together hey you're doing my job fantastic uh we'll, <laughs> we'll uh yes let's we'll talk about the magazine uh, in a bit uh we should also mention that in just a moment we usually do the uh, the interviews at the end of the show uh but in just a moment uh we will have an interview with the number one ranked wrestler in uh, the first ever PWI Women's 100. You conducted the interview some weeks ago, uh, so we'll get to that in just a bit. And as Dan touched on, if you want to read uh, the whole issue, the, the Women's 100, uh, it's the first one because in, in the past, well, how long was the female 50 around? The female 50 was around for, I believe, 10 years. Uh, really, that it's long? Either, wow. Yeah, it, it's been a decade. Uh, so this is either the 10th or the 11th uh, issue. And, I mean, if you just look at what's happened with, with women's wrestling in that time, um, I mean, I remember I filled out the first female 50. You know, Tracy Brooks was in it, and, and she was, you know, even on her best of days, and, and not a shot against Tracy, but she was never known for – she's more of a manager for the most part. Um, we had uh, some – Kelly Couture, who, who was not, not really even that active. We had uh, Jamie D, who, again, was kind of doing a freak show thing in TNA, for lack of a better term. Uh, so we, it was kind of a struggle, a struggle to fill out the 50. And uh, now with, with the explosion of women's wrestling over the past few years, uh, it was even a challenge to kind of limit it to 100. Uh, I could have easily gone 150 or more, um, and I think it's only going to continue to grow as, as women's wrestling continues to get uh, more and more popularity and gain traction. I would say... Oh, 2008 was the first female 50. Uh, do you remember who was number one that, that year? No, that year it would have been Awesome Kong. That's right. Um, and I, the reason I remember that distinctly is there was a debate. Uh, number one, Awesome Kong was was in TNA, um, and TNA was not as popular as WWE. There was a the thought, well, having a, a TNA person on the cover, is it going to sell as many issues? It's a women's issue. And at that time, this was during the middle of the whole kind of divas era and everything else, you know, was the thought was would, would Kong sell copies you know she's not a the beautiful people were, were a gimmick you know i mean that mm-hmm. she was not that pin-up kind of look uh and the art department made the decision to have kind of a collage have five or six women on the cover beth phoenix uh the beautiful people kong and, and maybe michelle mccool or something um but it, it's funny because even at that point 
Um, I think PWI was a little bit ahead of the curve and, and recognizing Kong for her in-ring work and, and kind of work rate that's held up uh, through the years. Uh, so, yeah, I, I remember it, and uh, I'm very proud of everything we've done since. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the, the women's evolution, and that'll be a topic when we talk about uh, the pay-per-view uh, later on in the show. Uh, but that, that top ten from that first year, uh, you could really see how much wrestling has progressed. I mean, it, it, if if I remember well... Uh, these women, and there are some, some terrific workers in that top 10, but they were not the rule, right? I mean, uh, certainly uh, as far as WWE was concerned, this was still very much kind of the bra and panties era uh, in, in 2008. So you had Beth Phoenix, uh, Melina, Michelle McCool. Candice Michelle was number 10, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, that speaks to how, how far things have, have uh, progressed since then. And up until last year's top 10, where you had Asuka, Charlotte Flair, uh, Alexa uh, Bliss, Sasha Banks, Bailey, Io Shirai, Natalia, Sienna, Naomi, and, and Kyrie Sane, all those women, uh, terrific athletes, it, it speaks to how far uh, women's wrestling has come uh, just in the last 10 years. Uh, and again, if you want to take in the first ever women's 100, uh, twice the size uh, of our, our past uh, female 50, uh, as Dan mentioned, the thing to do is to go to pwi-online.com. You could still pick up, still pick up the uh, PWI 500, which is sort of the the male counterpart to the female uh, 50. Now the women's 100. Uh, that's available right now for digital download or for uh, order the print uh, edition. Uh, you can buy the one issue. You can subscribe both to the print edition or the digital edition. Uh, the digital edition comes out. Uh, weeks earlier than the print edition, and it's customized for your mobile device. And and with 100 women, I imagine this takes up a good chunk of space, a lot more than than the, the female 50 did. Yeah, yeah. And what we did is, uh, I kind of mentioned this to Stu uh, maybe a year or two back about the idea of, hey, do you th- what do you think about going with with 100? Um, and what we did a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, uh, we actually did for the female 50, we had a, you know, space constraints are a very real thing in the publishing business. Um, we weren't able to run photos of everybody. Um, it, it was more like the 500 where we had two photos per page, you know, maybe pictures yeah. of the top 10 and then two. Um, and there were a lot of kind of complaints that I heard. And I, I go to a lot of wrestling shows and I'll see people bring the female 50 to the women and, and have them open it up to their picture and sign their picture. And it's a really cool kind of collector's piece to have that, especially at shimmer or some of these other shows, femme fatale, some of the other ones that shine. Um, and, and I asked Stu, you know, if we're going to go to a hundred, is there any way that we could still do a layout uh, where we can include a photo of everybody? And uh, with the art department, we figured out a way to do it. Um, really? So wow. there's a hundred. Uh, yeah. There's photos of everybody. Um, in a lot of cases, I had to do a lot of kind of legwork to chase down photos. Um, you poor guy taking pictures enough... of uh, pretty girls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Taking pictures of the pretty girls. It wasn't me taking the pictures of the pretty girls, but I had to go to the pretty girls and have them send the best picture. And but uh, you know, and, and trying to get all that together. But we we made it work. And um, like I said, I'm I'm thrilled with the results. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Well, again, the thing to do is to go to pwi-online.com. And uh, while you're there, please, uh, you could check out our podcast there. Uh, you can uh, go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast or whatever uh, podcasting app you use. Uh, please also leave us a good review. Uh, follow us on Twitter, please, at OfficialPWI, and send us an email here, pwipodcast at outlook.com. Uh, all right, Dan, uh, I'll let you take it away. Why don't you uh, throw us to 
uh, the interview with the number one ranked women's 100 wrestler. All right. Well, when we had to uh, come up with this list and we went through and we tried to figure out exactly, again, who we were looking at. Again, the criteria, very similar to the uh, PWI 500. Uh, championships won, quality of opposition, technical proficiency, one loss records, overall activity, and momentum or promotional push, for lack of a better term. Um, when it came to deciding number one, um, there were a few people that we considered. There was one who I thought excelled and stood out head and shoulders above everybody in every category except for one, and that was overall activity. But she was so dominant with everything else, uh, especially promotional push and technical ability, that um, we, we uh, Stu and I discussed it. We, we As a team, we, we decided on it, and uh, we decided that this year's number one and the first ever PWI Women's 100, it's the Raw Women's Champion, Ronda Rousey. All right, Rhonda, thank you very much for joining us. I'm very happy that you were uh, able to take a moment to give us a call. Um, and I want to jump right into this. Uh, so I want to start with uh, something that I'm not sure if you're familiar with. Uh, for the past 10 years or so, Pro Wrestling Illustrated Magazine has done the Female 50. It's a ranking every year of the top 50 women in the sport. And uh, this year we expanded it. We made it from the Female 50 to the Women's 100, ranking the top 100 women, including international talent. And uh, the reason for this call today really is to let you know that uh, congratulations, we have named you number one in the 2018 PWI Women's 100. Congratulations. Wow, I mean, that, that, that's absolutely incredible. I, 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 I don't really know how to react to that. I mean, I, I really appreciate it. I don't know how much I deserve it, but wow, thank you. No problem. And I know that it is, um, you've had a relatively few m number of matches. Uh, you were only active for the second half of the year. So first of all, the reason we went with you is because while you didn't have as many matches, you had such an incredible impact and have looked so strong in the ring, so dominant, that really no one else kind of had a chance. You, you really were the obvious choice. Uh, how would you describe really the past six months from WrestleMania up until today? Uh, well, it's been an absolute whirlwind, really. Like, um, I'm having problem even remembering like what order everything happens <laughs> or like I, I um I, I've gotten the habit of like forgetting the kind of things that people remember for the rest of their lives because I'm just so like overstimulated with so many awesome things happening all the time um but yeah I've I have no complaints life's been awesome it's been um a huge challenge definitely it's, it's, it's very different from um you know Sweetly, it's so different from everything I've ever done before. I mean, there's a lot of like similarities and things that transfer over, but I mean, it's an, an entirely different skill that I'm trying to learn from, from scratch. And, you know, I've been very fortunate in that um, I kind of got fast tracked in the, the learning process. You know, a lot of people get to, they, they learn their fundamentals first and they kind of learn how to do everything first. And then, you know, then they're ready for whatever is asked of them. And, um, but I guess the last couple of months, is the, the analogy that that fits it the most, I think it, it feels like, like a train going at full speed, and I'm sitting on top of the train, and I'm laying down the tracks like as it's going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it's, been, it's been amazing. It's been a dream come true, and I just, um, 
No, very cool. Now, I know that you mentioned kind of being fast-tracked, and, you know, a lot of other people will wrestle for years, hundreds of matches, before they ever get to NXT or to that level. When you came in, signing with WWE with your background, did you feel any apprehension that maybe there'd be cattiness or resentment? Or I know that Natalia's been one of the people who's really kind of taken you under her wing, and she says great things about you all the time. Um or have you were you afraid of that or what has your experience been kind of making that transition into pro wrestling without having that background on the independents? Um, I mean honestly, you know, coming into this, I expected all the fans and everyone in the locker room to hate my guts from day one. <laughs> I really did. Um, I I was really blindsided by how accepting and amazing everybody has been. I mean how amazing the WWE universe has been, how amazing everybody in the fact has been. I mean like I, I'm really not here for, like, a quick paycheck or, like, some extra fame or anything like that, honestly. Like, I, I just really love this, and I really want to contribute as much as I can, and I don't want to, you know, take credit for the women's evolution. I don't want to, you know, take away from all the work these women have been doing. You know, I, I just want to be a catalyst, and I want to be able to speed up what's going on here and bring more attention and more value to all of the work that these women are doing, you know, and if, if I can do that in, in the least, then I'm happy, you know, like I, I'm really, I, 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 I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's hard, it's hard to describe, but like, I guess it's, you leave yourself like open to surprises a lot, but it's, I'm not used to being surprised with great things, with good things, you know. And just, I, it was, is just coming into this industry. I've been nothing but surprised nonstop by actual goodness in people and how happy you know they are for me to be here and for me to be a part of it. And you know, like I, I was accept, I was expecting resistance and resentment from day one, and I've got nothing but. Um, you know, acceptance and everybody willing to help me. You know, it wasn't like uh, I, 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 there hasn't been a single person that hasn't offered some sort of advice or knowledge or something. And I'm just so lucky that I'm surrounded by all of the, the best teachers from day one. You know, like I, I am very aware of how, um, of how like privileged I've been. You know, and from you know, a lot of people work their whole lives just to get somebody to take one look at them, you know, and from day one, I don't know anything. And I have like, you know, Triple H telling me how to tie my shoe. <laughs> like Triple H taught me how to tie my boot. Like that is insane, you know, and um, I can't, I think it would be spitting in the face of every woman that would want this opportunity to not take full advantage of it. And, you know, you talked about making the transition and, and kind of getting this opportunity and running with it. Um, I know Shayna Baszler pretty well. Uh, I got to see, I think it was her second pro match on the Indies, and I, I've seen her through the years from there up until what she's become. And even from that second match, I remember just being blown away by seeing how naturally she made that transition from MMA to pro wrestling. Because the way you strike, the way you kick, the way you move, everything is, is a little bit different. Um, and you managed to do just the same thing, if not better. Um, your transition has been remarkable. What was the most challenging thing in making that transition from that world to WWE? Um, I think the most challenging thing in that tr transition is um, to make everybody happy in a way. You know, you have the, the diehard WWE fans that you have to make happy, but then I also have, you know, my own fans that I have to make happy. And 
Um, a lot of them are, are very, very new to WWE, you know, so like, I had to kind of think about, like, with every single um, time I go out there, I have to make um, make everything appeal to people who are diehard fans and fan new fans. And um, so it's kind of like finding that, that balance between, you know, the reality and the suspension of disbelief and, like, how, many, how much can I really, you know, um, how much can I make, like, really believable? And um, it's... It, it, it's a it's a fine balance, you know, because there's certain things like you know certain like you know uh, trademark pro wrestling things I would love to do, but I'm worried that like a diehard MMA fan that's watching WWE the first time might roll their eyes at it, you know. And so there's there's, there's a huge um, variety in people watching that I have to cater to all at the same time. And um, so I think that that's been the greatest challenge, you know. There isn't one type of person that is watching; it's every type of person, and it's hard to find something that appeals to everyone all at once. I never really thought of it from from that perspective that you have to kind of maintain your your MMA fan base as well, and not do things that are too outlandish. But that's that's really pretty fascinating. Um, what about WWE's touring schedule? I mean, I know it's a, it's a lot different, and, and have you had difficulty um, adjusting to it in, in terms of your life, you know, your your outside life, your training, everything else, and being on the road as often as you need to be, uh, both in the ring and pr- for promotions, uh, promotional things. Uh, how difficult has that transition been? I mean, like, being on the road and everything has just given me so much more respect for what everybody else does. I mean, honestly, when, when I came into this, I thought everyone just wrestled once a week. <laughs> I thought they just showed up at, like, Raw and SmackDown, and, like, that was it. I didn't even know that there were live shows throughout the week. And, um, I mean, the, the fact that these people just go nonstop, like, I, I have nowhere near the schedule that everybody else has, you know? Like, if I'm on the week of um, live shows, it takes me at least a week to recover from it, you know? And I, I um, if anything, I have, like, the, the super easy tourist version, you know, <laughs> like I have nothing to complain about. You know, I, I, I do whatever I can to perform whenever they need me to perform. And, um, you know, I, I have a much easier schedule than everybody else. Like, yeah, I work really, really hard and I try, you know, to do everything that I can. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have an amazing life at home. I have an amazing family. They're just so supportive and fantastic. And like, it's, I, I could see how it would be difficult for somebody who doesn't have an amazing home life to be able to be in both worlds at once. But, um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm so lucky. I have the most amazing husband and kids and they're, they've been with me and in my corner, like all the way. And, and yeah, I, I, I'm, I told you, I'm like, I'm living a dream. This isn't even really work. I would, I would do this for free. You know, I could be sitting around like doing investments or something you know, like, maybe, really boring all year. Maybe, I, I maybe we shouldn't. Doing this, you you know? don't want Vince to hear that. You don't want him to hear that you could do this for free. <laughs> <laughs> no, I told him that in my first meeting. Of course, my agent's like, please don't say you do this for free. And I'm like, oh, I'm saying it. I'm saying it. <laughs> That's awesome. I have like. I like truthful, like, Tourette. It just comes out. Cool. Um, what about you You were very quickly put into the program with Alexa Bliss, and did it surprise you going from your debut and then being in the title picture as quickly as you were? Uh, a lot of people kind of expected, okay, it, it'll be a long-term build to WrestleMania. And, and uh, next thing you know, within a few months after your first match at WrestleMania, of all places, uh, you're, you're the women's champion. Um, did that come as a surprise to you? Yeah, honestly, I was 
extremely surprised. I was resigned to like, oh, I was thinking like, I would like to never win the you know, the, never win the title, you know, and like, I don't need it, you know. I didn't need it. Roddy Ryder Piper didn't need it, you know. And <laughs> I was totally cool with that. And um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of these decisions are not up to me. And if the company thinks that you know that I am using my best capacity as their champion right now, then I will do do that job as great as I can for as long as they see fit for me to do it. Terrific. Now, another thing that's rumored and. Um... I would love to see it happen. I kind of think it would be the best option right now. But in your opinion, what would you think about, you know, potentially being the first woman to headline a WrestleMania? Um, is that something that you would consider? I mean, is it something that you, because you can't directly control it, maybe you just put it out of your mind? Or is that something that kind of sits in the back of your head as a potential goal? I mean, yeah, I would love to be one of the first women to headline WrestleMania. I think um, it, it's time. You know, um, but um, it's not up to me. It's I, I, even if it's just somebody, you know. I just think it's time for any women to be headlining WrestleMania. You know, it, it, but you know, I, I don't own a multi-million-dollar company, and I don't make these decisions. And so, maybe my my opinion about when it's time is, is different. About you know, I maybe there's a lot of things that I'm not seeing or factors that I'm taking in. But um, but yeah, I think. Um, I, I would love to be the first woman to headline WrestleMania, but it's that that's something that's completely out of my control, and so that I'm not I'm not going to invest any of my happiness in whether that happy happens or not. You know, if it does happen, I'll be like, hell yeah, it's amazing, hell yeah, let's go women, woo! But like, um, I'm not going to be like crying at home for weeks because I didn't get the headline to WrestleMania. You know, if anybody makes like if any women get the headline to WrestleMania, I'll be just as happy for them as I would be for myself because I just think that it needs to happen. That's that's terrific. Now, uh, another question: uh, You've obviously you've you've had your background with the Olympics and MMA, and you know, no one doubted your athletic ability to make the transition into wrestling. But one thing I've really kind of noticed is in in wrestling, well, in the UFC, your your demographic isn't doesn't include a lot of younger kids, uh, especially little girls. Whereas in WWE, there are a significant number of little kids, little girls, especially at live shows. How does it feel or has it kind of dawned on you that you are kind of now more of a, a role model for little girls and little boys uh, that you may not have necessarily been in the UFC world? Uh, is that something that you think about or is that something that you notice when you're out there performing? Um, that's something that started happening slowly during the USG days and now even more um, when I started doing MMA like yeah I, I initially thought that I would only ever appeal to adult audience you know I wanted my first walkout song to be second violence by the exploited you know I thought <laughs> that was all that I had to sell you know like I thought that was my product yeah like a bunch of people are good right yeah and um, it's turned into so much more than that and um, and so yeah, I had to start carrying myself differently in the you know the beginning um, when I was just starting to get women's MMA noticed at all. I mean, I had the dirtiest mouth on earth. Like if you, if you listen to some of my old interviews, like I swore almost like three times a sentence, you know. And um, but you know I was kind of going for like the female Diaz brother, you know, angle at that time, and that's what you know I felt like was my character, you know, that I should go with. And, um, yeah, times change and, um, like, like you see, like I, I, I kind of have to change with the times and 
but there, there's a balance also as well. You can't become somebody or not. And um, I realized that, you know, I can't constantly act like there's an eight-year-old in the room. Yes. So um, I'm gonna, I just look at the situation that I'm in and I, I adjust according to that situation. Like if I'm in uh, an environment where there's only adults, then I'm gonna act like there's only adults in the room. You know, if I'm on a, a late night program that's on 11, I'm not going to be talking like there's kids talking. What's your kid? Why, why is your kid sitting up late and watching, you know, late night talk shows? <laughs> um, but if I'm, you know, on morning television, live TV, something like that, then I'm going to speak a lot differently, you know? So it's just that I have to cater to whatever audience I'm in front of, and that audience changes from situation to situation. Okay. And I know that you're at TV, so your time is tight. Uh, just two last questions here. Um, who are some of the the women that you wanted, would love to, to wrestle? I mean, I, I can imagine Natalia might be somebody, but now with uh, the other events that are happening, Trish coming back and Lita and others, are there women that you have really kind of looked forward to? You know, I never thought I'd have the opportunity, but man, I'd really like to wrestle this person. I would really love to wrestle uh, Sasha Banks. I think that I've just been so impressed watching her work and being able to, you know, see her from the back and see her work. And I was already a fan of her before. Um, I, I think that, like, I, I think that we'd be able to make something great together. And I think that she's given a lot of women their best matches ever. And I, um, but I, I almost feel like I'm not at, at the right level yet for her, you know? Like, I really think that, um, couldn't make something really special and really great but um yeah i don't know if i'm if i'm at, at the level that's ready for that yet and i don't know what what the company would ever you know if they would ever like that but in a perfect world um i would i would definitely love that for sure Cool. And in a perfect world, you've already had the first Women's Royal Rumble. You've had women headlining a, uh, a pay-per-view and now having their own pay-per-view with Evolution. Are there any other kind of firsts for women that you would really like to see happen? Um, you know, just, again, in a perfect world, uh, other things that you would like to see uh, take place somewhere down the road? Um, besides the first women's main event, WrestleMania? Yeah. Anything oh, other than God. that? You're, you're... You're making me stretch for more. Um, well, you know what? Um, I would just like to see women represent 50% of the roster and 50% of every card. You know, I don't think that that's too unreasonable, you know. Um, but I think that's a far way down the line, but I think it's, it's a good role. It's a good goal to, to pursue. Perfect. All right, Rhonda, thank you very much for your time. And again, congratulations for being number one in the Women's 100. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, there you have it. The number one ranked uh, wrestler in the first ever PWI Women's 100, Rowdy Ronda Rousey. Uh, Dan, you touched on some of the reasons why she was uh, the right person to be in that number one spot. Uh, let's talk a bit about it. First, is there an evaluation period uh, similar to what we do with PWI 500? Yeah, the evaluation period, it went from uh, October 1st, 2017 through September 30th, 2018. Now, again, the evaluation period is the primary area, although we do, for context, maybe mention something that they've done up to this point, if they've previously held a championship before that grading period. And as we were writing it, um, you know, I mean, I, I was very happy that evolution just happened. And I was just really kind of biting my tongue, just hoping that uh, Ronda didn't drop the title to Nikki Bella on the eve of the Women's 100 and, and being on the cover of PWI. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's the, the grading period. And even in that interview, 
uh, Rhonda seemed, uh, you know, very kind of humbled by the honor, uh, actually saying that she didn't think that she was necessarily deserving of it. Um, but being very kind of gracious and very, very pleased with it, uh, which I thought was really terrific. Um, in fact, when we kind of began the interview off, um, you know, she, she is a, sometimes reluctant to do interviews. Um, and I asked if we could use the audio for the interview for the podcast, uh, beforehand. And she kind of hesitated and says, well, how about we wait until it's, it's over and, and just kind of make sure you're not a jerk. Um, because, you know, yeah. So how did we, we get to use the whole it? Thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had to, I had to be nice. Uh, but no, like, it went well. And, and as you can tell, I mean, I, I did kind of mention I, I've known Shayna Baszler for a while. I know Natalia very well. We have some kind of mutual friends. And she really kind of opened up. Um, I, I hope it comes through a little bit in the, the audio that we just listened to. Um, but I think that she just really comes across as somebody who really loves what she's doing right now, is in a really happy place, and isn't taking it lightly or for granted. She's taking wrestling very seriously and seems to really want to do it well. And, uh, again, that's why I'm very happy that we were able to uh, to make her number one uh, because I think she gets it. And I think that right now she is the cream of the crop in women's wrestling, kind of the person to beat. Others are more polished. Others have been around longer. But when it comes to star quality, when it comes to name recognition, when it comes to big-time matches, Ronda's really just knocking it out of the park. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I could get people uh, take an issue if they do with uh, having her number one just because the activity, it's kind of a – a similar argument as we had with Brock Lesnar in, in the uh, PWI 500, uh, him being a lot more seasoned in pro wrestling, obviously, than than Ronda is. But um, she's amazing. I mean, there's just no other way to to say it. Uh, and and I got to see more of it myself um, Sunday night at Evolution. But I don't know. And I'll give you credit, Dan. You, you were uh, uh, praising her way before anybody else. I mean, even before she got in the ring at WrestleMania, I remember me being among those that was very kind of skeptical about uh, how how good she could be, both in the ring, on the mic, the whole package. Uh, but it's, it's incredible. I mean, how far along uh, she's come. And um, one of the things uh, I think I heard maybe Wade Keller say, uh, which, which I think really kind of nails it, is that one of the things about her that is the most endearing is it it almost comes off like she hasn't been smartened up yet, right? Uh, she takes it so seriously, um, both in the ring, on interviews, the emotion that she conveys uh, in, in every angle. You saw the, the, the angle where the Bellas turned on her. She looked absolutely heartbroken. And that's hard for a, a seasoned pro wrestler um, to to nail down, and when you talk about essentially a, a crossover celebrity, it's almost unheard of, you know, that she could get it as well as she does. Uh, but you know, I, she has exceeded the highest of expectations, uh, and you start to wonder if, as as amazing as she was in judo, going to the Olympics and winning a bronze medal, as amazing as she was in, in mixed martial arts, essentially creating a division in UFC uh, around her and her being the, the top attraction in UFC for a number of years and, you know, running through that division, beating all the contenders, um, most of them in, in the first round, uh, as much as she was just a natural and a phenomenon at both of those, she might be better at pro wrestling than than anything. Yeah, it, it, it's that is true, and um, you're right. I, I did have high expectations because at first I had low expectations. 
Um, and what I mean by that is Shayna Baszler. I, I saw, I believe it was her second ever pro uh, match in Shimmer. Um, and I'm, if I'm not mistaken, either a second or th- uh, second match might have been against Rhea O'Reilly. Third match might have been against Veda Scott that weekend. Um, but I thought, you know, every and we touched on it in the interview with Ronda there. Um, everything you do in MMA is is different than pro wrestling. You know, in MMA you you always go to your back, and in pro wrestling you don't want to go on your back. That's how you get pinned. Um, you know, the the striking isn't done for the people in the cheap seats to see. It's done to be you know to punch through your opponent. Uh, smaller moves are better. Uh, certainly, you're not throwing anybody off the ropes or anything like that. Um, but she's been able to, and I saw Shayna do this, um, thinking, you know, it's going to take them a while to make that transition. And then just seeing how fluidly and naturally she did it because she got it. And she, because she knew the fundamentals, she was able to make the fundamentals look real and incorporate pro things better than somebody coming in and just being a good athlete trying to pick up the pro style. Uh, so once I saw Shayna do it and talked to Shayna a little bit about, you know, hey, is Ronda, like, is this a publicity stunt or is this for real? And she's like, no, Ronda's been a wrestling fan all her life. Like, that's her dream come true. That's her dream gig. You know, she's been working on this and, and wanting to do this. And once I realized that that was kind of the headspace she was in, um, you're right. I thought that she would, um, I didn't expect her to be this good, uh, but I did think that she would be a, uh, a viable WrestleMania headliner, and I still do. It just happened a lot more quickly than I expected. Yeah, and and one of the things that's even more impressive is that uh, it, it she's gone from in just a few months from being, certainly before WrestleMania, this uh, kind of unknown, you, you worry a little bit of what she's going to look like in the ring, to the kind of wrestler that can not only carry a match, but carry a show. So when Ronda's in the ring and her match comes up, uh, you there's a feeling of, she's got this. You know, this is going to be pretty good because Ronda's in it, which is crazy to think about with, with a wrestler who's only been, only been wrestling, uh, what, six months or something like that, that there's that level of comfort with, with her in the ring. And past that, consider the fact that she's yet to work with the better women in the company. You know, the, the matches she's had, she's worked with, uh, and, and, you know, nothing against any of these women, but when you're talking uh, Alexa Bliss, Nia Jax, Stephanie McMahon, um, Nikki Bella, this is not the, the cream of the crop of um, even WWE's women's division. Uh, she still hasn't worked with, you know, the the Oscars or the Becky Lynch's or the, the Charlottes uh, of the world. I guess she's going to get Becky at, at Survivor Series. But that she could have the, the quality performances that she's had so far, again, working with kind of the, the lower half of the uh, division is uh, just remarkable. And, and it's already at the point where I think some of the more seasoned women uh, in WWE could learn something from her. Um, you know, not necessarily in the ring, even though I, I think one of the, I wrote about it in a feature uh, in, I don't think it's the current issue, it might have been the issue before this, about MMA fighters transitioning to pro wrestling. One of the cool things is that they bring some of that MMA offense in, and so they, they do a lot of really fun, innovative stuff, and you've certainly seen that with, with Ronda and her judo throws and some of that. Uh, but putting that aside, again, just the the emotion, the uh, she takes it so seriously. It's it, it sometimes it's it's kind of endearing and charming. And I say that having followed her in MMA, where she very often was not endearing. You know, when the the Ronda Rousey that left UFC, um, you know, rubbed a lot of people the the wrong way. And I think she's done a terrific job of kind of recreating herself 
in, in WWE where she is just sort of the uh, this likable, babyface, inspirational uh, act. And I think WWE just has something really special on its hands. We talked last week and uh, about Roman Reigns' departure, who is the new face of WWE. Maybe this is it. I mean, um, maybe we already have the answer. It's Ronda Rousey. Yeah, I, I mean, that makes sense to me. I mean, the timing is certainly right. She's got the name recognition. John Cena is, is part-time. Um, I mean, not to necessarily get into the whole uh, Crown Jewel um, controversy and everything, but uh, with John Cena saying he's not going to go and Daniel Bryan uh, being reported not being uh, attending, uh, those are kind of key figures in WWE that are um, going to be kind of less prominent. Um, you know, I mean, Ronda Rousey's not on the show either, but it's for different reasons. It's for the political reasons. Um, but some of those, uh, you know, people that have been at the top for a while, uh, there's room. There's room for a, a new megastar. And certainly Ronda headlining this pay-per-view and um, and really, again, great, getting a, a very good match out of Nikki Bella, you know, um, I, I think she is, she's in good position to be that next breakthrough star. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um... It's really something uh, a kind of remarkable. And and one of the things that uh, I think it's sort of counterintuitive. I remember when she uh, first debuted uh, at, at WrestleMania, the, the concerns were, how do you have anybody in the ring with her um, kind of look credible? Uh, because, you know, the thought of, of Ronda selling for much of anybody in WWE was kind of unheard of. And uh, it just hard to believe. And we've kind of gotten past that. And this past Sunday night, her spending a good match, uh, a good portion of the match with Nikki uh, on, on defense, selling for Nikki Bella's offense. And I was fine with it. And my sense was that most fans uh, were too. And I think we kind of got past that. We're now, we're not looking at the former UFC champion, the, the world beater in a ring, we're looking at a WWE superstar, a pro wrestler. So are, are you okay with that sort of uh, evolution, for the lack of a better word, uh, where, you know, she is selling now for the likes of, of Nikki Bella? Well, yes and no. I'd like to see her kept a, a lot stronger. And again, I hated the idea of her making her debut against Stephanie McMahon. I think the match worked out really well because of the way it was laid out and put together and structured. Um, there has been rumors of Stephanie McMahon headlining WrestleMania against Ronda Rousey, yeah. uh, which I think should never in a million years happen. Um, I mean, I, I do think that she should be the headliner this year. I've said Charlotte, maybe Becky Lynch is now the hot hand, but um, still, I think that that's a, a, she's a marquee attraction at WrestleMania. Uh, but I think the time of her going against, because the, the match with uh, Stephanie there was a lot of stuff happening. Um, she got pulled off the apron. Um, Kurt Angle was selling a lot. There's some things that happened on the outside. She mixed it up with Triple H. There was a lot of, like I've said in the past on this, this podcast, smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nikki Bella match, she could have tapped Nikki in the first 45 seconds three or four different ways. It wasn't until Brie interfered and uh, hit, she hit the post two times, and then she was selling, I think, her left arm, and, and that's where the story took off. So they still have made her where she's dominant, and she it was personal now. Uh, they tried to make it personal with this whole storyline about, about Rhonda's mother and whatever. Uh, so she wanted to kind of let the match go and not just get a quick tap out. She wanted to punish Nikki. That was kind of the shortcoming that allowed Bree to come in and, and make it work. 
So as long as there's that kind of structure, it works fine. Otherwise, yeah, she should be tapping everybody out in a minute or two. Um, and I think that if they don't have her doing that, it will eventually weaken her character. Uh, but I think that they're doing a good job of presenting her and giving people longer matches that tell a story as opposed to just making her a Goldberg and going out there and flattening everybody in three minutes because that does um, have a limited shelf life. Yeah, you got you got to find a balance where, uh, as you touched on, you, you keep her credibility, but at the end of the day, you got to put on matches, right? So you can't have her just walking through everyone. Um, what do you think her, her future is? As, as far as, as, you know, is she long for WWE? There, there were some stories earlier in the year where I remember her being asked and saying that initially she wasn't planning on, on doing this for very long. She saw this as kind of a short-term thing, but she was really falling in love with it, so maybe she'll stick around a little longer. Uh, that still maybe causes some concern among fans about, again, it, 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 is she in this for the long haul? There was a Kevin Von Eric once uh, told me this, um, and I love the line. Uh, he goes, he knew early on that wrestling was a, a, a fast horse for a short run. And it was get on it, have fun. It's not going to last long, but just go all out if you can. Um, I think that's what Rhonda's going to do. Um, I mean, she's got right now, she's still got Hollywood calling. She's got a lot of endorsements, whether she's doing Twizzlers or whatever else is out there. She's doing like, you know, the Sports Illustrated photo shoots and everything else she can really kind of make her own ticket. She can go wherever she wants to go. Uh, that may diminish uh, the further away her UFC days go, uh, but since she's having such success in WWE, I think it might actually even make her more marketable. Um, so I would expect three years maybe, um, and then kind of see, yeah, maybe see where it goes from there because she she's having a great time. And, I mean, who knows? Any injuries can happen. Lots of things can happen. But, uh, you know, she didn't start off with this when she was 18 or 19. She started it after a judo career, after an MMA career. So I don't expect it to be, you know, a decade. But I, I give it a, at least a few years in wrestling, I would expect. What do you think uh, that includes? I mean, she's going to have Becky Lynch, which is probably her uh, biggest challenge in terms of, of uh, working with a, a real high-caliber elite worker. Uh, but Charlotte's out there, and again, there's talk about WrestleMania, Asuka. Are there other names that, that come to mind? Well, I mean, there's a ton. I mean, Shayna Baszler is yeah, a natural big, yeah. opponent at some point, uh, and I thought that Shayna Baszler, in my opinion, I thought that she had um, one of the best matches of the night uh, just based on pure in-ring and storytelling, not the, the false count anywhere kind of everything that was going on. Um, Shayna Baszler is one. Tony Storm could be another one. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of women that, that are still on the independents that could be great matches for for her. Uh, but I think you know, with Jasmine uh, Duke and the, the other four horsemen now getting a little bit more active, uh, certainly Sasha Banks would be a great opponent. Mm -hmm. Ronda even mentions that in the interview. So I, I think there's at least a dozen really strong uh, kind of I'd call them dream matches, and I think that we should be able to see most of those in the the year or two that come. Yeah, yeah. WWE really has something uh, special with her, so. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, why don't we go through the rest of the top 10, uh, beginning with number two, who is the number two ranked wrestler in the women's 100. Okay, number two. And now the top 10, I will say there is some controversy in this. Uh, Ronda at number one, it will be controversial because she only had, I believe, 10 singles matches during the evaluation period, 22 total matches. That includes tag matches, and I think some six-person uh, six tag matches as well. Um so she wasn't as active, but again, she was so dominant and effective that we, we gave her the number one. Number two, Alexa Bliss. 
And Alexa Bliss was the hot hand. Uh, she was just winning against all odds and, and really on a tear, particularly uh, she had the hiccup losing the title to Nia Jax at WrestleMania, but quickly regained it. Um, and she was really hot for the first half, even up until maybe SummerSlam or so uh, of the grading period. Uh, so we gave uh, number two is Alexa Bliss. Yeah, I remember talking to her uh, earlier this year. Was it this year or was it late last year? Um, and being impressed by her her brain. Uh, so a, had a good head for the business. I also remember her being a little defensive about not being considered in that, that upper echelon of women's uh, workers. How far do you think she's come over the last year? I think she's a great performer, and I think that she's athletic. Um in terms of being a great worker, I don't think she is, but I don't think that's her role to be. Uh, she shouldn't be going out there get, putting on five-star matches. I think that she can go out there and put on an entertaining and strong match with Nia Jax, and she can do it with uh, Charlotte. She can do it with a variety of opponents, um, and that's really kind of the more important thing. Uh, she doesn't have to be a technician or a wonderful technician. Uh, but that being said, I think that she's really underrated. Uh, there will people, there are people who say that she's overrated because she's won so many titles in such a short period of time. And how come she gets the, the kind of rocket strapped to her back instead of Asuka or whoever, whoever? Uh, Becky Lynch was another one that people were saying up until you know a few months ago. Um, but it's because she's delivered. Um, you know, and I think that she's uh, done a really good job. I think that she's going to win more championships to come, and uh, she will never be confused with Lufez, but, you know, she's <laughs> certainly better than China. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah. I think she's, she's pretty talented. Yeah, and I think in some ways uh, what she brings to the table in terms of her speaking ability is as valuable or more valuable as the other part of it. And, and I think... Uh, it's that part that sometimes doesn't come as natural to the women, but she is just so comfortable uh, healing it up behind a mic. Uh, that's that's a rare commodity, and, and again, that's at least as valuable as the in-ring part of it, so uh, good for her. Um, who's number three? Number three, and again, remember the evaluation period went up to September 30th, um, so uh, you consider the year that she'd had, the 12 months up to that, and she's kind of a, a no-brainer at this point. Charlotte Flair at number three, uh, the queen. She had obviously the, the you know the holding the championship, um, uh, ending the the uh, Asuka's winning streak at WrestleMania. Just had this dominant run until she finally got uh, upended by by Becky Lynch. Uh, but number three was Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte's an interesting one. I mean, you sense with her. Uh, a bit of a backlash now starting, and I don't know how much of that is support for for Becky uh, more than opposition uh, toward her. But I do think that there is a growing feeling among fans uh, that she's sort of the Roman Reigns of the women's division. Uh, in, in as much as she's kind of been anointed the top act, there's all this discussion of her headlining WrestleMania with Ronda, um, and and in that role, I guess Becky Lynch would be. I don't know, Daniel Bryan or, or whoever it is that is kind of the, the fan's choice for that spot. Um, and the other part of it is that Charlotte went from having uh, a string of terrific matches uh, a year or two ago, really kind of earning that top spot as as uh, the most decorated woman in, in the company to, you know, I think slowing uh, uh, down a bit. You know, she had a terrific match with Becky Lynch on Sunday night. But before that, I'd be hard-pressed. Maybe WrestleMania uh, the last time she had a really standout performance in the ring. So what, what do you think of the progress she's made and, and kind of uh, the, the path that she's on? Uh, 
I think that uh, I, again, and I've said it before on this podcast, I, I'm not a fan of the brand split, uh, having different rosters, but I think if it really affected the women um, mm-hmm. pretty strongly uh, because her being, Charlotte being over on SmackDown, she spent a lot of time with Carmella and, and just kind of these, these mediocre matches, forgettable matches, forgettable feuds, forgettable everything, where, uh, you know, the focus is really kind of what was going on on, on Raw. Uh, it would be Sasha and Bailey and what was happening with them and what was happening with the championship and Ronda coming in and, and Charlotte was just kind of over on the side until this whole feud with uh, Becky really kind of kicked into gear. So, yeah, I think that she had a, a bit of a down, disappointing year, successful year, but her character lost a little of that edge that, that she'd had two years ago. And, yeah, I think there is definitely some of that. You made a good point, the Roman Reigns of the women's division. I think there is definitely a feeling that she's been pushed uh, a little bit too hard um, and, and been on top for too long. Yeah. Uh, who is number four? Number four, it is Io Shiri. Shirai. I always mispronounce her name. Io Shirai. Uh, again, as we were doing this, um, it was uh, leading into the finals of the May Young Classic. Um, so we didn't know who was going to win, whether it's going to be Tony Storm or whether it's going to be Io. Um, but you look at what Io has done um, as they included in the hype package for uh, for the Mae Young Classic and at Evolution, uh, generally regarded as a top woman in Japan for the past three years. Everything she had done in stardom, uh, her her leaving stardom was a major blow for that company. Um, luckily, they're very good at creating new stars, and they they found a way to kind of um, you know at least bring in personalities and develop personalities to fill in. Uh, but her technical proficiency her her uh durability her championships and experience uh just really kind of stood out uh so again when it came to you know it, i would have loved to have waited until the May young classic was over and see you know give the spot based on that uh but outside of the May young classic i think that eo had the the wider range of success uh that tony did uh particularly in stardom so uh number four is eo yeah, she probably came into uh, the, the tournament with uh, the most impressive resume and was probably the favorite to win it. Uh, you know, given that Kairi Sane won last year, I'm not surprised to see them uh, not go with another Japanese star back-to-back years. But she was super impressive. Um, with her, uh, as with all Japanese wrestlers who come over to WWE, uh, you're always going to deal with that that language barrier. And I think it's made a difference in Asuka's uh, push uh, over the last year since coming over to, to the main roster. Um, and, you know, you imagine that, that she eventually graduates into WWE's main roster. That's what she wants to do. Um, do. Do you have concerns about how much of an issue that language barrier can be? It is. With WWE, it is a language barrier. It, it is an obstacle. And it's a shame because wrestling should be universal. Um, you don't need to speak. You don't need to cut a promo to connect with an audience. Good wrestling will do that for you. Whether you're a good guy or a bad guy, you can tell a story through the way you act in the ring. And I think Io does an amazing job of doing that, um, as does our number five, which is Asuka. So number two in the top five are, are you know Japanese women who have gone on to success in WWE. Um, Asuka, again, has been slow to pick up uh, English. She, she'll say a few things here and there. She's never going to be a great promo in English, but but she's pretty good at delivering some comedy and things like that. Uh, the little standoff that she did with Naomi during the Mixed Match Challenge uh, a couple weeks ago where they both went, went for the butt bump and did a little dance-off mm-hmm. and everything. 
I mean, it's, it's she's she's proven that she doesn't have to be the the monster striking machine that she was as Kana on the Independence and in Japan. Um, she can be a little bit more comedic and show a little bit more versatility and range without having the the uh, the language down pat. Um, but WWE is WWE, and they really love having somebody that they can t- tout and send out there on you know national TV platforms uh, who they know can deliver the speaking points and, and hit the key messages and do it fluently and fluidly. And uh, you know the Japanese speakers really can't at this point. Um, but you know uh, certainly when it comes to ring to ring, I mean Io and, and, and Asuka are about as, as good as you'll find anywhere in the world. Yeah, it blows my mind that WWE still struggles with this as, as much as they do because the answer is as old as time and it's managers, right? I mean, this was, they were a fixture of, of the WWF in the 70s and then the WWF in, in the 80s. Whenever you had somebody, um, and usually it wasn't even an issue of a language barrier, just was somebody that didn't necessarily have the mic skills, you'd pair them up with a Freddie Blassie or a Captain Lil Bano or... Uh, uh, Johnny Valiant or whatever it would be and problem solved and on a smaller level you, you see it now you see how well Andrade Singh Almas has gotten over with Zelina Vega in this corner doing the talking uh, for him um, so I'd, I'd much rather see that than what we've seen with, with Asuka you know her be giving these scripted promos that she the problem, struggles through and it just feels so unnatural yeah. I'd rather I'd much rather see her the, the um, thing is, though, a, but, a manager is a great choice, but only if the wrestler is a heel, uh, because there, there's, um, yeah. you know, there, there's really no point for a babyface manager. I mean, it, it's other than Arnold Stoland and Captain you know, they, Lou. They exist throughout the 80s. I remember Captain Lou Bano, uh managing tons of babyface, certainly tag teams throughout the 80s. Yeah, for well, he was a heel for most of the. I mean, so during I'd say maybe a three-year run, and it was during you know the height of the rock and wrestling. But by and large, you know, a manager's job is to keep the crowd riled up and and to to you know interfere. Um, and if you have a good guy who needs a second, and the bad guy doesn't have a second, well, now there's like a numbers advance for the good guy, which automatically kind of turns the good guy heel. Uh, so really, manager only makes sense for a heel for for the most part. Um, and certainly, I mean. And that's how WWE is using them. You mentioned with uh, Almas and, and with Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman. Uh, that's definitely the, the traditional model. Um, maybe if they had a, you know, because here's the thing. If you had, a, a, say, a big burly guy who's the manager uh, cutting promos for Asuka, then she's going to be a heel. You know, she's got this big guy or a man outside the ring, regardless of size. Um, so maybe she would have a female manager. But WWE has never really had a female manager. It's always kind of been valets. Even Elizabeth was more of a valet, um, so it, it would kind of be it would be unique. Um, I'm not saying it it couldn't work, um, but historically, I don't think that it's it's been a model that that's had any success yet. Yeah. So you gave me three, and I think you gave me five. Did we go over four? Oh no, we we did four. Let me. Well, I'll recap. We did uh, Ronda Rousey at one, Alexa Bliss at two, Charlotte Flair at three, EO yes, at okay. four, and number five was Asuka, and then yeah. number six. Well, before you jump to number six, okay. d- just a point on Asuka. You know, I, I love the show on, on Sunday Night Evolution. The one, I don't think it's a criticism, but but the one thing that kind of brought me down a little bit was seeing Asuka in a 20-woman battle royal uh, kind of tossed off uh, with little fanfare. And to think of where she was, you know, headline winning the first Women's Royal Rumble in January, being in a marquee match at, at WrestleMania, 
um, you know, whether it's a language barrier or, or otherwise, um, what do you make of uh, her her lack of progress or kind of a drop off here in the last few months? Well, it's terrible because I think that she's an incredible talent. And I, I mean, I, I've seen her up close and personal for years at Shimmer and, and I've seen her well before she became Ostica. And, and I've seen her against, say, Ember Moon uh, back on the Indies and others. I've seen those matches six years, five years ago. Um, she's got worlds of talent, but she is a little bit older. And WWE is going to, they're a global company. They want to bring in a diverse group of people. Okay, we'll we'll have room for one Japanese uh, female star, maybe two. Three is kind of pushing it, and Kyrie is younger and more attractive. Io is younger and uh, more versatile, and I think that just pushes Asuka to the back of the list. I think that's terrible. I think it's you know it should be merit based, but uh, WWE is an entertainment company. They want to have people playing different roles, and it doesn't make sense to have three of the same characters, even though they are different, but to kind of like in the wrestling language of well, three Japanese girls who do flippy moves and hard kicks, you know? Uh, so I think yeah. that she, she was kind of a pioneer that she proved that she could be a Japanese wrestler who got over and was, was presented as a superstar and accepted as a superstar. And that allowed WWE or gave them the confidence to say, okay, we're going to get behind Kyrie Sane. We're going to get behind EO. Um, but now that they're in there, I think that Asuka is going to be more in the Naomi category. Um, and it's a shame, but I think that's her, her, her lot right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we go over, uh, number six was number six on the list. Number six, Shayna Baszler. Um, again, she, she came, uh, up short in the last year's May Young Classic, making it to the finals, but losing to Kyrie Sane. Uh, but beat Sane to the NXT women's title. She got that title before Kyrie did um, and regained it uh, from, from Kyrie Sane after losing a tour at Evolution. Um, but yeah, uh, Shayna was just a, a really dominant force in NXT. Um, she did drop the belt, which kind of knocked her down a, a little bit in, in our uh, uh, rankings. Um, but she really, you know, kind of stepped in and, and, and really had an impressive run with the NXT championship. And I think that uh, she's certainly going to make a very big impact in WWE as soon as she gets up to the main roster. Yeah, she's another one. She's just awesome. Uh, you know, before Ronda was uh, blowing people away and how well she made that transition from MMA to uh, pro wrestling, uh, Shayna did it. And, and now, by now, Shayna's got a little more time than uh, Ronda does. I think probably a couple of years she's been wrestling. But another one who just, um, you know, took to it like a, like a fish to water. I mean, uh, such a natural in there and unique, right? I mean, whether it is sort of her swagger, her look, the style, some of the offense that she employs, uh, I think it's hard to point to anybody else, certainly in WWE, uh, who is anything like her. And um, how, how well do you think that'll translate to uh, the the main roster? Because one thing, and this is kind of a touchy kind of thing, but uh, for for all that is discussed about how far the the women's uh, movement has come and evolution and all that, the bottom line is, by and large, they are still promoting um, sort of traditionally attractive women, right? The uh, the 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 cover girl type, and that's not Shayna, right? And Shayna is in fantastic shape and and uh, attractive in her own right, but. Uh, you know, again, she she would not have uh, uh, done well in the Divas era, or she wouldn't have gotten a look uh, back then. 
in as much as whether they like to admit it or, or not, there's still a little bit of that left over. Do you think that affects her push at all? Yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, it's wrong, and it, it bugs me. Well, I mean, it's a complex question. It's more complex than, than we'd have time to really get into in our podcast, and we could have our, you know, get people with degrees in, in uh, you know, feminine history or whatever, women's studies, whatever, uh, and they can debate this pretty heavily. But you've got somebody like Shayna who is just an ass kicker. She's a very solid MMA fighter who made a, a successful transition. Uh, but when she competes in the May Young Classic, she's all dolled up. She's got this you know, pristine makeup and everything else. She's still the same character, but there's still this need to put kind of makeup on because you want to look good under the TV lights and everything else. Um, they do it with Nia Jax too. Nia Jax in five years ago, let alone 10, 15, 20 years ago, she'd be a monster heel. She, she's literally twice the size of many of the girls. Um, but the WWE still wants to have the kind of beauty standard and everything else, which is fine. And if you want to be body positive and, and say, okay, you can be, 200, 250 pounds, whatever, and still be beautiful. That's fine. But then they are also promoting women with face, fake boobs and the makeup and everything else. So they're, they're kind of all over the place. It's, it's definitely kind of a mixed message. Again, ultimately, it's, it should be up to the women. Uh, if the women want to wear makeup and, and look sexy or look good under the lights, fine. If they want to, however they want to present themselves. Um, but I think that this is still a television product and there is still a executive office that says we want our talent to look a certain way, men and women. Um, you know, for every one Kevin Owens you can find who kind of looks like a normal dude, you've got 15 guys who are just in impossibly fantastic shape. And I, I think that that happens with the women as well. Uh, whether it should happen or shouldn't happen, I don't know. But yeah, I, I do think that that is something that will hold Shayna back. Um, but, you know, you can only hold back true talent for so long. Uh, it'll be something that you'll have to overcome, but I'm very confident you will overcome it. Yeah, and one of the obvious uh, differences between NXT and the WWE main roster is Vince McMahon, right? Um, he has little or, or no involvement uh, in NXT, so somebody like a Shayna Baszler uh, has more of a clear path to move to the top um, where there are different sensibilities, but she comes over to you know, Raw or SmackDown, and all of a sudden, Vince McMahon, um, you know, is the ultimate decision maker. So I, I'm not saying necessarily that, that it'll hold her back, but it is uh, something that she's going to have to uh, get past. That was sort of the the irony of the whole uh, Evolution show and, and this whole idea that the women have had to uh, fight and they've been held back for so long and now they're finally coming through and they've, like, conquered all these obstacles and what is it that they had to conquer but Vince McMahon, right? I mean, he was the one who was uh, booking uh, women the way he was booking them for, for so long. And, um, you know, not playing uh, armchair psychiatrist or anything, but, but I think it's fair to say that Vince McMahon, uh, all we've seen over the last 40 years uh, in, in terms of his sensibilities, he likes his women – Young, busty, attractive, you know, just so like they point Linda. you to years yeah, of just, the, just like the diva that's searches precise. and all that. So uh, that's where that came from. Yeah, you know, that's that's why he married Linda McMahon, young and busty and uh, <laughs> the whole thing. Uh, no, but you're right. The I mean, he's the one. He's the one who had uh, Trish Stratus stripped down to her brown panties and bark like a dog right. in the ring. And you know, the the thing that was, I remember at that point, um, I was living in an apartment. It was before I was married and. 
uh, a woman who lived upstairs had two kids, a little boy and a little girl, and I knew that they watched wrestling. And I was watching Raw as the scene was going on and knowing that right upstairs, my neighbor was watching this with her seven-year-old daughter. I said, oh, my God. Like, uh, how, like what, what kind of message is that sending to a little kid, a little girl, you know? Um, I mean, thank, thankfully, we're beyond that. We're beyond that, oh, that whole era. But Vince is still very heavily associated with that. Um, you know, so you're right. And it, it kind of feeds into number seven on the list because she is this kind of diva wrestler, uh, Carmella. Uh, Carmella mm-hmm. was number seven because she did have actually a surprisingly impressive run with the, the SmackDown women's title. Uh, and when it comes to in-ring ability, certainly can't hold a candle to anybody else that we've mentioned. Um, even Alexa Bliss, who, who's not like yeah. said, a great technician. Uh, but during that grading period, she did have wins over, and they were typically controversial, but she beat Charlotte, she beat Becky Lynch, she beat Asuka, and she beat Naomi. And she had a, an impressive run with that championship. And, I mean, you can't deny the, the impressive uh, period of time that she had. Whether she'll repeat it, I doubt it. I don't think that she'll ever get back into a, a title unless they need a transitional champion at some point. Um, but she did have about a really impressive four-month four or so run, um, and that was after winning the Money in the Bank, well, with James Ellsworth and everything else, but having that Money in the Bank briefcase and being a featured peripheral character uh, in the title chase on SmackDown for the entire year. Yeah, yeah, and I I think you're right. It, it it was a good transition point because Carmella probably more than anybody in WWE, maybe the Iconics are, are up there too. Um, very much would have fit in just fine in that Divas era. I think about when they used to put out that um, essentially like the 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 SI swimsuit issue, but it was the the Divas magazine every year, and it was just a bikini photo shoot on a beach um, that was made for for Carmella, and she might be. I've got to think here, but she's certainly among the, uh, I don't want to say worst because that does a bad connotation, but, but the, the least advanced, uh, in ring workers among the women, uh, in WWE. Um, and if you look at her, I mean, she's very attractive. She's a former dancer, all that. Uh, but she, she doesn't necessarily exemplify what they tried to put at uh, center stage on on Sunday night. That said, I think similar to um, what we were talking about, Alexa Bliss, and maybe even better than Alexa Bliss, she is such a natural on the mic. I mean, such a natural performer, so comfortable, uh, just hamming it up. Uh, did you see uh, this thing that they put on YouTube that it's, uh, you know, my my kid is a professional wrestler or something like that? I've seen a and couple was, of them, uh, yeah. kind of a mini documentary with her parents, and her, her dad was um, like a job guy for WWE in the, um, the early 90s. And it really went over, uh, again, how since she was a little kid, she was into dance and theater. And there are a lot of kind of, you know, endearing home movies of her and her sister just really ha- hamming it up in front of the, the home movie camera. So so you see that she was born to be a performer, but not necessarily a pro wrestler. Yeah, a performer, not necessarily an athlete or, or you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Or a yeah. combat sport. Uh, athlete, but I like I her. Say. Yeah. Number, okay. number eight. Eight? Eight, yes. Uh, number eight, uh, again, we kind of mentioned her name, um, and she fell off, but she's recovered uh, nicely kind of after September 30th. But uh, number eight is Nia Jax. Um, again, I would put her on the weaker side of the, the in-ring uh, abilities, but she won a championship at WrestleMania, and not a lot of people can say that they've done that. And anyone in the business, that's kind of a goal of theirs. Uh, so Nia Jax did win the, the Raw title, 
Um, she lost it back. She was one of the first uh, challenges for Ronda Rousey. Um, she did at Evolution, obviously, win that, that Battle Royal and, and now has a future title shot lined up. Um, so she, she really made an impact through the year, but it was kind of uh, start and stop. Uh, at one point, she was the story. Her and Alexa Bliss were the story of the women's division. Uh, once Ronda came, came in, you know, uh, I think that Nia Jax winning the title was a feel-good story at WrestleMania. And then maybe an hour, hour and a half later, when Ronda had her first match, Nia Jax was an afterthought. You know, it was, it was kind of all about Ronda Rousey from that point on. Um, but she did win that championship and has been a consistent uh, top name on the Raw side, and uh, she got the number eight spot. Yeah. Inter- interesting because when uh, we talk about Asuka as far as having it in the ring, a terrific worker, uh, but in part because of the language barrier, not totally comfortable uh, on, on the mic. Uh, and then you've got Alexa Bliss and Carmella, who aren't terrific in the ring, but are, are just naturals behind the mic and, and real performers. And then you got uh, Nia Jax, who is kind of neither, right? I mean, um, you know, I'll just say it. I think she's terrible on the mic. And, and you know, that's not the worst thing in the world. There are a lot of people who aren't very good on it, but she's just very uncomfortable, unnatural, uh, seems sort of un- unsure of herself, uh, doesn't do well with scripted promos. Uh, again, it's, it's not pleasant. And in the ring, uh, in part because of um, her size in the sense that really she shouldn't be working like um, a, a, a smaller woman. She's got to do the giant role, but that affects the kind of match that she has. So where's the appeal? Uh, and I think in part the appeal is the novelty, right, uh, in, in that she gets to be the, the giant of the division and um, – What's interesting is that different than like an awesome Kong, she's big, but she's beautiful too. So they're able to promote that. So I do think they have something special uh, with her. They seem to know it. Um, They uh, showcased her at some kind of plus size uh, fashion event in New York City last week. And she's all over it. And they seem to be doing more of that with her, putting her out there as, uh, you know, kind of the the body positive uh, kind of message. Uh, so there's definitely something there. I just think that her, more than a lot of other women, uh, certainly in this top 10, has got a, a ways to go in, in developing. Yeah, I feel bad. I feel guilty about doing this. And I, you should never feel guilty about this with, you know, criticizing a wrestler or an athlete or an, an entertainer. But I, I think she's a terrible wrestler. I, I, I don't like anything that she does. Uh, that's just my own personal thought. I respect what she's done, and I respect that, you know, I'm not talking about her as a person, but uh, the way they've positioned her, they've made it where it's like, well, if you boo her or if you're not, you know, supporting her, then you're 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 not, um, you know, being body positive. You're not doing a lot of things. And I really hate the uh, – it's a tough spot that she's in. I think that wrestling doesn't need to be as complicated as, as they've made it. Um, she's got the advantage, the size advantage over all competition. Uh, she should be the dominant kind of monster and that monster doesn't have to be ugly or anything like that, but she should wrestle that, that kind of big show style. If, you know, you you look at Andre, the giant, Andre, the giant was promoted as a giant. He was a novelty. He wrestled not five-star matches, but giant matches. And he's a legend. He's an icon. Um, when you get the big show, 
people who, when he came in, they were trying to have him do drop kicks or having him do some other things. Uh, we're going to make him a good guy. We're going to make him a bad guy. He's going to be kind of cool because he smoked cigarettes in the ring. He's going to start and stop, change everything, change look, change whatever, trying to have whatever they could with him. And he'll never be an Andre the Giant. Not that he could have necessarily been Andre, but he could have been pretty close. And you look at Nia Jax and compare her to Awesome Kong. Awesome Kong is one of those people you, that you're going to look at and say, yeah, she was one of the all-time greats. And Nia Jax, no, no, she's not. It just never will be. I think she just uh, rushed along. Uh, I, I don't think that – I think she still has a lot to learn. Um, and she's just sort of unseasoned and was put on a big stage, I think, well before she was ready for it. All right, Dan, why you tell us who number nine is? Number nine, it's Mayu Awatani from Stardom. Uh, as, as I was about to say uh, earlier, uh, she was really the person who uh, stuck around and stayed with Stardom after Kyrie Sane left, after EO left. Kyrie was the, the focal point of the company. She's young. She's an amazing in-ring talent, uh, very versatile, won a lot of titles in Stardom. Uh, and she's kind of been the, the center point around which the company was able to make the transition into the, the uh the, the newer girls that they have that they've been featuring, who also several of them made the list. Um, but she's kind of one of those those corner posts of stardom, uh, had a lot of success, and has really kind of stepped up her game uh, to try to fill those big shoes left behind by Io once she left. And uh, Mayu Awatani was uh, the number nine pick. Um, Mayu Awatani was in the tournament. Uh, she won the several titles. Uh, in uh, She beat EO for the World of Stardom title uh, in June of 2017, eventually dropped that to Tony Storm a little bit later because she dislocated her elbow during the match, won the tag team title, participated in the Women of Honor title tournament. Uh, but she was actually upset by Kelly Klein in that tournament. Um, but really her success in Japan is what is the main uh, factor uh, for our decision to put her in at number nine this year. Yeah. It's interesting now with WWE going after the Women of Stardom Stardom uh, pretty aggressively over the last few years. Uh, do, do you think that's where she naturally uh, ends up as well at WWE? The ones who really look like, you know, they're going to be the stars if, if WWE were to ever come calling. EO was number one. Uh, her signing was a little bit delayed with some health problems. Those all got cleared up, and now she came in about a year later than she'd expected. And, and Kyrie. Uh, Mayu, I don't see being the, the WWE type. Uh, she's kind of young, a little bit gawky, an amazing mm -hmm. competitor, but just doesn't have that star presence that we were talking about. Um, but I, I think that right now, uh, given the success that, that the others have had from Asuka on, uh, there's definitely a lot of people internationally looking at the WWE who never would have before. It, yeah. it used to be if you're a great wrestler who, who didn't have kind of the blonde hair and the fake boobs, then you go to Japan and you, at least you can be appreciated over there. Now WWE is finally opening the, the doors up, uh, but there aren't necessarily as many top ballot people in stardom right now that I think would be on the WWE's radar. That does can Ring of, obviously change. But. Does Ring of Honor's creation uh, of a women's division and the fact that Ring of Honor is growing its own uh, footprint, uh, both in the United States and internationally, does that bode well for, for female wrestlers? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and my sense with Ring of Honor is I think that they really want to do a lot with the, the Women of Honor division. I think it's something that they're going to really look to grow in the next year or so. Um, I know that Sumi Sakai, uh, she she hadn't made the – in fact, let me take a quick look here. I think that she last, last tracked the female 50 in 2008. 
Um, she's been active, but she just hasn't been as prominent. She's a, a very talented uh, in-ring performer, but she never had the, the platform. And Ring of Honor has given her that platform, uh, which is good. It gives the title some credibility up front, but it's also very good because she's a great um, person to build a division around. And I think Ring of Honor is going to be doing that. Uh, there's a lot of talent on the indies that they've looked at, uh, a lot of international talent, Canadian talent, others that I think that'll be coming in. And I think that division can only continue to grow. Yeah. So who rounds out to the, uh, the top 10? All right, I can go with number 10, but let me see. Who, who would you think? Let's see if, if, if Al can get this one here. Uh, who see. would you guess is number 10 based on who has not been uh, named so far? Well, part of me wonders whether you throw Impact the Bone and, and put one of their women in there. Uh, but I think in, in terms of the women with the highest profile and the most upside, the one that I haven't heard uh, would be Sasha Banks. Ooh, ooh. No, Sasha Banks is number 14. Okay. Again, which will probably, if she hadn't blocked us on, on Twitter before, uh, <laughs> she would block us now. So, uh, no, not her. Uh, do you want to hazard another guess? Yes, I'll take a second it? swipe of that. Uh, Becky Lynch. Uh, I mean, I think her her big kind of resurgence came late in the evaluation period, so I don't know how much that would factor in, but certainly right now she she's uh, a big name. You were close. Becky Lynch uh, is number 11. Strike two. <laughs> number 11. Yeah, strike two. All right, I don't so know. So I'll, I'll give you one more pitch. No? Okay. <laughs> we well, just get hit by the pitch. Uh, Kyrie Sane. Okay. Kyrie Sane. Uh, yeah. Again, uh, during the rating period, beating Shayna Baszler, having her run, winning the uh, the May Young Classic, uh, beating Shayna Baszler, having the run with the NXT Championship. Uh, Kyrie has really had just this remarkable year. Um, again, when she came in, I think her winning the May Young Classic uh, had to be considered by a lot of people to be a bit of an upset. She had the talent, but I think everybody had looked at EO as being the one who was going to be the big star, and Kyrie kind of did it on her own. Uh, she she kind of got the Pirate Princess uh, look and gimmick over, and it's had just Ugh. a terrific run. So. I You're say, not a fan of the Pirate Princess? I am not. <laughs> I was I was talking to my my son about it when we went to Evolution on Sunday night. To me, about the stupidest idea for a gimmick. Uh, this side of, I don't know, uh, Abe Knuckleball <laughs> Schwartz or something. I mean, her gimmick is that she likes boats. I mean, is that pretty much it? Uh, yeah, coming in with the pirate wheel, I just think that the gimmick is a loser. Um, and, uh, you know, even calling a, a, it a gimmick is maybe overstating it. It's not that, you know, she's doing like the, the tugboat toot toot or anything like that uh, in the ring. But I just, I don't get it. I mean, it, it I don't know. I'm not a fan. I'm a fan of her. I think her yeah. work is fantastic. I think that the yeah, it, the boat gimmick's got to go. That's very. Uh, it's a very stardom kind of thing. They they do a lot of showmanship, a lot of spectacle, a lot of comedy, and I think that she kind of brought some of that component to WWE. Where I'd imagine they encouraged her. Hey, this is good. If you can make this bigger than life and, and own it, let's 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 go all the way. I mean, it's it's merchandise, you know. So uh, yeah, uh, it's. We'll, but, uh, we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's terrific. And I think uh, this top 10 is, is terrific. Um, we're obviously not going to go over the whole uh, 100, but but uh, a couple things I'd, I'd ask you. I mentioned Impact. Where do they come in? You know, at one time, as we touched on with uh, the, the first ever uh, number one in the female 50, 
TNA, um, now Impact Wrestling, used to be the place for, for women's wrestling. More so, you know, they were ahead of, of WWE in a lot of ways in terms of really getting behind um, female athleticism. Um, how do they, they rank this year? Well, they actually show up a lot more in the, this, the, the next group. Uh, Sue Young uh, comes in at number 13, you know, the unlucky 13 for mm-hmm. the, the, the undead bride. Um, but she had a, a fantastic run with the Impact uh, Knockouts title. Uh, at number 15, Tessa Blanchard, who uh, ultimately beat Sue Young. And coming in at number 16 was Allie. So right there in your next grouping of six, you have three uh, knockouts champions. So certainly, they, they, you know, uh, as a company, Impact, or PNA, whatever you want to refer to it and however far you want to go, they, they do have a legacy in the history of promoting uh, very good women's wrestling. Uh, some very bad, too, but uh, they, they've stood behind their knockouts division and, and made it a cornerstone of the, the company, and uh, that continued this year. But uh, none of them, d- despite... Uh, again, what kind of hurts with, with impact is they don't have the schedule that WWE does. Um, you know, they're just taping here and there and it's, it's not as active, uh, as, as WWE, yeah. uh, you'll have people on the WWE who are doing four dark matches a week. And you look at, you know, even somebody like an Alicia Fox and you'll look and say, wow, she wrestled a hundred matches this mm-hmm. year. I mean, never anything particularly big, but a hundred matches for the biggest company in the world. Um, whereas somebody like a uh, Sue Young will, will have, have, you know, considerably less than that. Uh, it's augmented by a lot of things on the Indies that are often, you know, she'll, she'll lose um, because it's, it's non-televised. It's whatever. So activity in the one loss record kind of uh, hurt the, the impact staff a little bit more than the WWE roster. Yeah. Yeah. How about Bailey? I mean, there's a name that um, has certainly dropped off quite a bit. I mean, a couple of years ago, a big sensation, her program with Sasha Banks. Um, unfortunately, she had another program with Sasha Banks uh, this year that might have been one of the worst storylines uh, all year, the, the on-again, off-again feud that just seems to have, at least for now, kind of gone away. Uh, how'd she fare this year? Bailey comes in at number 17. Okay, so respectable. Yeah, she's she's a little bit uh, like I said. Uh, Sasha Banks at fourteen, Bailey's just a little bit behind at seventeen. I think that she, Sasha has kind of been um, really perceived or promoted as kind of a strong link in the team, um, uh, and she's had more title success, uh, more title reigns than than Bailey as well. Uh, like I said, we look primarily at the evaluation period, but we do take into consideration things that happen outside that range as well. So in the overall scope, uh, we gave uh, Sasha the, the slightly higher uh, ranking to over the Bailey. Yeah, I think Bailey kind of touches on some of the things I was uh, bringing up, both with uh, Kyrie Sane um, and with uh, Shayna Baszler in in terms of making that transition from NXT, where it's really a different mindset um, to the main WWE roster and. You know, from the day she showed up in, on Raw, I had a feeling this wasn't going to quite work, and and uh, it, it's just not a a major league gimmick. And maybe it should be. You know, maybe it's an indictment on on WWE not knowing how to proper uh, properly uh, book a babyface because in NXT she was as hot a babyface as you could be, but you know, it just it hasn't translated and. I think some of that's on WWE. I think some of it's on her as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the biggest challenge now, and this is something that the women have never had to deal with before, um, 
you, you talk about the success of Evolution and WWE really promoting a women's division. They're bringing in more and more people all the time, um, and you're going to have to fight for your spot. And just because Bailey was successful and very popular two years ago, it doesn't mean that she's going to have a secure spot. Uh, there's always other people coming up: uh, Rhea Ripley, Tony Storm, uh, Dakota Kai. I think is still going to be a megastar once she gets a, a real uh, opportunity on the main roster. Uh, and basically, Dakota Kai can take that Bailey character and, and do the exact same thing. Yeah. Uh, they're they're kind of cut out of the same mold, and and she's kind of younger and smaller and a little bit more athletic than Bailey, uh, so she might even be able to do it better. Um, yeah. So, and, and that's not a shot at Bailey. It's just that the, the stakes have ra- risen for the women, like it's been for the men, uh, where they're going to have to fight even harder to to hold on to their spots. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyhow, again, uh, you could check out the entire Women's 100 uh, by going to pwi-online.com, uh, and I think. Um, if you're hearing this, I think it's available for a digital download, so uh, you can go ahead and be going through all 100 uh, right now. Um, we we brought up Evolution a lot uh, in discussing the list. Let's talk a little bit uh, more about it. I got to uh, go in person. It was right here in my neck of the woods, uh, National Coliseum, and uh, I got to tell you, I loved it. I thought maybe the best pay-per-view of the year for WWE, I think just a, a total home run. And uh, I was live tweeting from the arena, and um, one of the things I said, which I think is very much the case, and I've been going to Nassau Coliseum since I was a little kid. I saw my first WWE house show there uh, back in 1987, Randy Savage and and Ricky Steamboat in a cage. And, you know, for better or for worse, the, the Long Island Nassau Coliseum crowd has a reputation for being one of the worst crowds in wrestling, just difficult to please and different than other East Coast East Coast crowds that will uh, get really volatile and angry and you know uh, kind of take over, they'll just sit on their hands if they they don't enjoy what's going on. So I think there's a lot of apprehension about putting this show on in front of this crowd. But wow, I mean the the crowd was the star of the show, and um, you know I, one of the hottest crowds I've uh, ever been a part of. Uh, they were up for everything, and it wasn't um, like uh, a sympathy or pity or anything like that or that kind of crowd that is excited because they're just happy to be there and they feel like they're part of something special. This was a smart crowd that, um, you know, when the Crown Jewel logo came up, they booed, and when wrestlers would blow their spots, they would call them out, and, and they cheered Becky Lynch, and they booed Charlotte, so this was very much a an insider, hardcore fan a crowd, but they were red hot all night, and I, I think really helped uh, make this show something special, and really create um, that special atmosphere for the first ever women's uh, WWE pay-per-view, so I, I don't think it could have gone any better. Uh, well, uh, I'm surprised to hear you say that. Um, number one, I mean, I don't think it was a home run. I think it was a, a solid triple. Um, you know, I think there were a lot of kind of ugly things. And I don't say ugly, but it, it, there were some misses, um, you know, it, it some pretty prominent misses uh, as well as the hits. Um, but it, I'm interested in what you're saying about the fans because watching on the network, it really seemed particularly early in the show that it was a lot of kind of women and kids. Yes. There was a higher pitch cheer. But as the show went on, I didn't hear that anymore. Uh, I heard kind of the normal fans, especially cheering for Becky over Charlotte. Uh, my thought at one point they showed a group of, I forget the name of the organization, but a group uh, of fans were shown on the, the pay-per-view. Girl Up, um, I think it was. 
Yeah, I was actually right next to them. Yeah, they they were right next to them. Oh, did they did they stay for the whole show? That is a good question. I think so. They were a big block. I mean, I can't speak to every one of them, but they were a a big block of fans, and I didn't notice them uh, pick up and leave. So, yeah, I think so. Okay. Because I've heard that the ticket prices for this were a little bit lower. Uh, I think that there were some kind of blocks of groups like that that – that maybe were not the, the, the smart fans, just yeah. fans for a show, or they just want to cheer yeah, the baby there was faces some, and boo the heels. I don't know if papering, but but a good friend of mine who actually trains uh, uh, in wrestling as well, um, a a mom in my kid's school, uh, told me she went for $6. She got tickets. So, uh, yeah, I and I had heard that, you know, the, the ticket sales weren't, um, doing great in the weeks leading up, but the place was pretty much um, full. I, you know, they had the house lights down for most of the show, which um, I thought was peculiar. And I saw some people speculating online that that's because they didn't sell real well. But I can tell you that building was full. I mean, you, you might have had an empty seat here or there, but it was basically a sellout. Now, how much of that was comped? How much of that was sold dirt cheap? I don't know, but the place was packed and. Um, packed with fans, um, and you, you mentioned the the girls. Uh, there was definitely a lot more young girls and women. A lot of women walking around dressed as Nikki Bella or dressed as as Ronda Rousey, and I thought that was just super cool because, um, you know, the the cynic in me looks at uh, kind of the promotion of, of this whole event and how special it is and all the strides uh, WWE has made in promoting, you know, women's empowerment and doesn't totally buy it. Uh, but it was clear that they have uh, had a lot of results and a lot of success. Um, and there was definitely a lot of women and moms and little girls uh, in that building who were uh, really felt like they were part of something um, special. And it was cool to see. And um, as you touched on, a lot of the cheers were higher pitched cheers. And I thought it was just really awesome. I mean, I it, it was um, a nice feeling to be part, especially coming a few days um, before the Saudi Arabia show, which will give you the total opposite feeling. It was, it was nice to, you know, be part of a show that uh, had such kind of positive vibes um, running through it. And I thought the booking of the show throughout uh, was great with that too because it was kind of like WrestleMania where, you know, the baby faces were just going over one after the other after the other and the crowd was into everything. I, I thought it was terrific. What, what did you think were some low points? Well, let's see. If, off the top of my head, the Battle Royal I thought was just a, a train wreck. Uh, oh, I so part. disagree with you. I thought that was maybe the best battle royal that WWE has ever put on. Yeah, I, I would disagree with that. I, I, I'd put a hard no on that one. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, no, I, I thought it was really pretty terrible. Uh, there were a lot, and maybe, I mean, live, obviously, you know, you're watching something on the network versus seeing it live in the arena. Uh, and we had this when I was at WrestleMania in Orlando a couple of years ago, and I thought it was yep. really a strong show. And a lot of that's announcing. A Right, a lot of that. Are, are it might be, yes. yeah. To be honest, uh, Michael Cole at one point. I mean, and this this can happen. Uh, it might have been during the, the Charlotte match. Said he, he said, uh, you know, both men are down, and they caught themselves. So, oh, wait, <laughs> both women are down. But but then he also repeatedly interrupted Beth Phoenix and Renee Young, and it was kind of uncomfortable because it was total like mansplaining and like <laughs> talking over the women co-hosts, and like she they would go to make a point, and he would just you know bulldoze now. 
Um, uh, some of it is that because Beth Phoenix is not an announcer and she doesn't really kind of get the, the, the chemistry of when to chime in or when not to, but Renee does. And Michael Cole would just, or they would make a point and he would just go with, you know, vintage Bailey or something stupid <laughs> and not, not react to the, what they were saying at all. And it's like, man, you know, it, if you're going to be serious about this, then you, you need to be a little bit more sensitive to your presentation. Um, so yeah, the announcing was, was one thing. Uh, you know, I, I still want to know if Tamina's alive. I don't know. Uh, did you see the, the, when she caught, yeah, uh, yeah, that uh was, that was And there were a few moments um, throughout the night, you know, and, and it, it speaks to the fact that, you know, by and large a, as a whole, and, and obviously this varies, but I, I do think that the, the women typically get less seasoning, um, before they're put on the main stage than the men do. Um, so, y- yeah, there were throughout the night a few things that were, you know, didn't look quite right, and, and I, that was one of the biggest ones. Yeah, there was a couple other things. The, the matches that I thought were the mo- the, the best, and I, I've got to say that my uh, there's a Rhea Ripley match for the, the UK title, right? Yeah. That, 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 on, okay. that was on my, the pre-show. My, I didn't my, see that, yeah. Oh, all right. Because my I was having some intermittent uh, outages with the network uh, a couple times, but um, so I missed that. But I, I watched the rest of the show. I caught the rest. Uh, but I, I noticed the, the Shayna Baszler match. I really enjoyed. I liked some of the the things that happened in the uh, what was the other match? That I liked? Well, the, the main event. Um, the, but there uh, were some other matches. The May Young Classic final the, was real good too. Uh, yeah, Tony Storm yes, and the, uh, that, yeah, you're sure right. Awfully short, but very good. It the, was the short, yep. classic final. Yep. Um, <laughs> but I thought some of the other ones, the, the the tag match with the, I thought the riot squad looked good, but I thought a lot of the psychology and the way the match was put together uh, in that six person tag, I, I didn't really like. Uh, there were a few other things I didn't really like along those lines. Uh, what did so you there think were of, definitely uh, some great high points. How about but, Charlotte and Becky, which was put on as kind of the the big showcase match? They got the most time. I, they had the gimmick. Uh, what do you think of it? I didn't like it, and and the reason I didn't like it, and I know that Dave Meltzer was calling it the, the best main roster match of the year so far. Yeah, I disagree. And I, I, I'm kind of in between the two of you. I I, I thought it was good. I, I I didn't think it was great. There were here's my biggest complaint, and it was okay. So a last woman standing match, you have to beat the ten count. Um, there were times where both women were down, or one was down, and say Charlotte was down, and Becky's going to get something. And the referee is watching Becky get something, but not doing the count. It, yeah. the, the counting was, was uneven. And yeah, then it, when she was piling all of that stuff on uh, Charlotte, if you remember that, you know, mm-hmm. for the, the big spot where Charlotte, like, it, she's gently setting chairs on top <laughs> of a chair that's laying on her. So, I mean, okay, yeah, you put four chairs on her. Of course she can stand up. But, but the referee waited a good 30 seconds as she meticulously piled these things on top of her before he started counting. The match should have been over. It's been over twenty seconds. Well, ago. no, because it, she's yes, still yes, putting the on the offense. <laughs> yeah, but isn't it you have to? If, if if I've got you on the mat and I am pound, you know, stomping on your back, he's not going to be counting while I'm stomping you on the back. I've got to stand back and and then the count would if, begin. If that's the case, the referee has to come in and back the person away. They they have to tell that story with the referee. The referee standing and just kind of watching it all happen didn't do that. But yeah. a more glaring uh, occasion of that is twice Charlotte broke yes. the count by getting up to her knees, yep. not standing, yep. but getting yeah. up and, to her and knees. The crowd, and the referee stopped. The crowd noticed it, and they, they booed. And uh, I thought that was 
a pretty bad reflection on the women. I mean, you can't put on that on the ref. You can't call for the village, the finish when it's not ready, but they needed to be better about, come on, be on your feet by 10. You're going to screw up the whole match if you don't. So, Except for, yeah. but on, in the final 10 count, Charlotte was on her knees. The same the as she was when he didn't. Yeah. Yes, yeah. The, exact same. Yeah. That was, so that was it, weird. So, so for me, it was just a match. Uh, it was just sloppy and ugly. And there you was know, a lot of I don't know why yeah. anyone. There was the table was spot fun. that, that um, they they kind of misjudged the uh, the distance, and um, Charlotte went for the moonsault and pretty much cleared the table. The table didn't break. So yeah, you know, I do think that you have to grade them on a curve somewhat, and and maybe that's condescending, you know. Uh, but the reality is that women don't participate, at least in WWE, they don't participate in matches like this. Um, so it, it, it was kind of a first. And there was definitely, and, and one of the places I noticed it was um, just in the chair shots that Becky was giving Charlotte in the back. There, You did sense a reluctance to go all in. It, you know, it, you, you sense that these there are these two women who are trying to convey this real personal uh, grudge but at at the same time, best friends who are maybe a little scared to to hurt each other, you know, and I, I think that came through. Yeah, and if you're going to do that, then then you don't use a chair. You use other weapons, and not even a weapon. I mean, you, you can tell the same story where you're poking somebody in the eye. It doesn't have the visceral, you know, the, the, the hard impact of a chair shot, but that's kind of a shortcut. You can still, you know, beat somebody up in a really violent way. Like we saw Randy Orton put the what the screwdriver or put it that, right, through uh, Jeff Hardy's yeah. ear, right? Yeah. That was a unique cringy thing that really yeah. freaked people out, but there was no risk. There was no, I mean, he could have torn the ear low, but it was done carefully. Uh, you know, it's not like a chair shot to the head. Um, you can be creative and find ways to get heat and do really vile things. If you're not going to commit to it and, and, and you don't have the confidence to do something safely, just don't do it. Yeah. Just don't. Yeah. Uh, briefly, what did you think of the, uh, the main event Rhonda and, and uh, Nikki? I thought in some ways the, the worst match of the night, but, but in other ways, um, kind of exceeding expectations. I mean, considering the two women involved, uh, not a surprise that it's not a five-star classic, but I think they did a respectable job of putting on a WWE main event performance. I would agree with that. Yeah, and again, it was a smoke and mirrors. It was Breeze mm -hmm. interference. It was Nikki really kind of uh, working a body part and, and being, you know, stalking. The, the thing that was great about that, and, and this is kind of an understated thing, and I was talking to a couple friends as we watched it, um, you know, why does Nikki get this spot? You know, Nikki of all people, how is she headlining yeah. this pay-per-view against Ronda Rousey? And, and my thought at the time was it's because she's the only one who can get real heat because she's the antithesis of the, the, of evolution. She is like the, yes. the old divas era, the throwback to right. the divas era. And this was a night where fans were really ready to cheer any woman, any woman who was standing up for empowerment, being strong, being anything along those lines. And, what they could do is just make Nikki the absolute antithesis of that, guaranteeing her the heat and making her the perfect foil for Ronda for this one show. I mean, I don't want to see a program with those guys. I don't want to see them keep going. But on this one night, it was the right opponent, and uh, they put together a very strong match. For, yeah, I think you know, the, despite the limitation. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, and I think that's one place where I'm I'm happy to say I was wrong. Not not that I ever took a stand against it, but I think um, like many other fans, when I heard that this is what they were going. Uh, with as the main event of the first women's pay-per-view, I thought, what? Um, but um, this was absolutely the, the right match. And, and I think, as you said, part of it was telling the story of 
that evolution. You know, the the Bellas very much were from that Braun Panties era, and they're kind of the the in some ways the the last uh, remnants of that. You know, maybe Alicia Fox is, as well, and, and a couple others. Um, but the other part of it is that they are stars, right? I mean, um, there were, and not just on Sunday night, but when I go to shows a lot, I always see uh, a few girls dressed up as Nikki Bella, you know, part of it is just that it's a great outfit, you know, um, but there are Nikki Bella, uh, both the Bellas absolutely have a following, um, from total Bellas and total divas and, and all of that. So, uh, I, I think sometimes it's, it's underrated how big stars they are. Um, so it, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that that was a clash of the two biggest stars in um, WWE's women's division. And it's fair to say that that, that means in women's wrestling. You know, I, I think the reality is that Nikki Bella is more known in the mainstream than Charlotte Flair is or, or anybody else. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it worked. They didn't go too long. And that's also, uh, I think a big plus for the show overall. And I hope WWE, you know, was paying attention. I think they hit like the, the sweet spot of how long a show should be. It went about three hours, 10 minutes, three hours, 15 minutes. It flew by. I think the matches were all paced really well. Um, you know, none of the nonsense that sometimes drags down WWE pay-per-views, uh, to me, it was almost a blueprint for, for how to do a WWE pay-per-view event. And I think part of that, um, you know, and this is sort of the backhanded compliment, part of it was that it didn't feel like a WWE show. It, it, it in some ways felt more like kind of an NXT takeover. It had a, a different kind of vibe. Um, it, it, it didn't, I didn't feel Vince McMahon's fingerprints all over it, even though apparently he, he very much was running the show, uh, but it didn't feel that way, so... Uh, I thought a, a, a really good show, and I'm, I'm curious where they go from here. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and I, it, it's nice to end a WWE pay-per-view wanting to watch more yes. rather than, you know, looking at the, your watch and saying, oh, my God, it's only yep. 930. Oh, yep. they're going to 11. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, so it, it was uh, – I thought it was good, and, and I think that they need to run these shows more often. I mean, honestly – I think they need to make their their own show on the network. But even well, if let's they talk about do... that. I mean, do, do you think there's you know again so much of it was um, at least you could there's the possibility that a, a lot of why this did so well was the novelty, the first ever. Um, you know, they were able to bring back the the old stars. How well does this work as a consistent? Whether you're saying a a show every week, regular pay per views. Do you think that there is a market for that? A market for uh, recurring women's events? Yeah. So uh, whether it would be a, a weekly show like a 205 Live or something like that, and then regular women's pay-per-views. I imagine not monthly, but let's say a quarterly women's pay-per-view. Yeah, I, I think a quarterly women's pay-per-view would be ideal at this point. Um, I would love to see them get their own program. However, I wouldn't want them to then say, oh, the women have got their own show. Let's take them off Raw and SmackDown. Right. That's the other part um, of it. Is, does I, it mean that taking them off of the regular pay-per-views? There's a way to do it where you can oh, – well, that's true, taking them off the, the regular pay-per-views. I, I, I certainly wouldn't do that. And as Rhonda said in her interview – um, that we just listened to a little while earlier. She envisions a day, and she wants to see a day where 50% of all matches are female, hmm. um, and we might be moving towards that. Um, or you know, so if that's the case, then it, it seems kind of silly to um, to 
uh, you know, segregate uh, the women at this point and give them their own pay-per-view. But doing it every once in a while, it, it's it's something. It's something different. And certainly, you know, if you're going to do it, maybe, well, they are going to do a men's-only pay-per-view with Crown Jewel, so they're, they're <laughs> yeah, doing that. Later. Right. Yeah, there will be there'll actually be three gender-exclusive pay-per-views in 2018. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely correct. <laughs> so, I mean, I think there is a market for it, and I think it's a growing market, and, and I don't think it's a fad. I think that wrestling has changed. Uh, wrestling is going to be, until, until, um, the only thing that I think can hurt women's wrestling at this point is because these are women who are taking some pretty crazy bumps, and they're not the guys who have, 40, 50 pounds of extra muscle mass or fat on them. Um, or, you know, they're, they're women. They're, they're susceptible to injury a little bit more than men are. And you've seen this on the independence, uh, Portia Perez as somebody who was wrestling and she wasn't even wrestling the most physical style of matches, but she was taking big bumps. Her career came to a premature end due to injuries. Uh, Allison, uh, danger, same thing. Even Daphne, same thing. Uh, there are a lot of women on the independents who have really taken a beating and seen their career end early. And if that happens to somebody like a Sasha Banks or something, because these are small women who are just really getting the hell kicked out of them in some matches, wrestling a, a the rigorous WWE schedule, nobody's really kind of done that before for a prolonged period of time. And if somebody does get hurt, uh, it, it could sour people. Um, you know, if, if you have like a Sasha Banks or Charlotte suffering the same type of concussion uh, injury, that, that shelved Daniel Bryan or the neck injury yeah. that put that put uh, Edge out of uh, the game. Something like that could maybe kind of take the, the shine off it a little bit and say, hey, maybe we shouldn't be encouraging our young girls to go in the ring and take these crazy bumps. Um, but for right now, I think that it's, it's growing, and I think that there's definitely a uh, an increased demand for it, and I don't see that going away anytime soon. Yeah, you know, things are changing. I remember years ago, what, what you're talking about is, I think, one of the reasons that UFC was – uh, and Dana White, in, in particular, was reluctant to um, feature women's MMA because the thought was that people would feel uneasy seeing women get beat up. Um, but you know, he'd be the first to acknowledge that he couldn't have been more wrong. Um, and it was Ronda Rousey that that made all the difference and, and showed that women could that there is an appetite to see women get into it. You know, and and it's funny how much of that is is still around. I was talking to a colleague at work today about. Um, uh, yeah, I went to a women's uh, wrestling pay-per-view event uh, on Long Island on Sunday, and he's like, oh, were they wrestling in mud? Um, you know, the bikinis, topless? And so there's there's still some of that out there, you know. Um, well, I, I wrote I wrote a book on the history of women's pro wrestling, and when I kind of it was introduced to another colleague the same way in, in a professional setting, um, said, hey, this guy wrote a book on the history of women's pro wrestling. Uh, the, the colleague turned to me and goes, oh, so you're a pervert, huh? <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, well, he was right, but that that's perception. neither here nor there. Right, he was totally right, exactly. <laughs> the, the fact that I'm a pervert had nothing to do with the fact that I wrote this book. So, but no, uh, so there, there is that stigma that's still out there, yeah. but I think that the more success that somebody like uh, Rhonda has and other people have, uh, that's going to go away. Uh, but it's fundamental. Like I said, in, in the book that I wrote, um, there was Mildred Burke wore a, a white uh, one piece bathing suit because under the arena lights, if you were in the chief seats, it looked like she was naked mm. and sex appeal was part of her game. It was part of the game from the very beginning. Even when you weren't wearing, you know, you had to have uh, your suits reinforced so nothing would kind of show too much or anything along those lines. 
Um, so it was very puritanical in a way, but it was also, it, it's, it's fundamental to women's wrestling. Like there is a certain sex appeal that's always there. Um, it's just a matter of finding the right balance for it. And uh, I think yeah. WWE is, is finally getting close to doing the, the right thing with it. They're, they're almost right there. Yeah, I mean, and, and I've been one of the, the ones that's kind of been slow to come along on women's wrestling. And, and the reality is, at any given WWE show I'll go to, the the women's match still very often is where I go buy a soda or go to the bathroom or something like that. Now, it depends on who the women are who are involved. Um, and going to the show Sunday night... I even I was a little concerned. I was like, am I going to have the appetite to sit for three hours of, of women's wrestling? And it was as entertaining a show as I can remember. And, and I can remember um, uh, a moment being really into one of the matches. I don't remember what it was and seeing the fans. And, and yes, there were a lot of women and girls there, but there were a lot of men. It probably still predominantly men. And seeing... You know these the the prototypical wrestling fan. You know in his thirties, beard. You know, gut the whole thing. A wrestling fan on his feet. You know, going crazy over a women's match on a show that was all women. You, I did get that feeling over the night that wow, this is history. You know, we, you know, this really has come a long, long way. Um, and uh, yeah, you know. I, People have given WWE a little bit of a hard time of overstating how historical this is, and people have said, um, you know, there there have been all other women pay-per-views in the past, whether it's like the LPWA, and obviously Shimmer and Stardom have been promoting um, high-level women's wrestling for years and years, uh, but, you know, make no mistake, it is a, a, a big deal, and it's a different thing, a different level when it's WWE, you know, WWE putting on an all-women's show absolutely is a big big deal um and and i don't think that can be understated agreed yeah and yeah. if you think that sitting for a three-hour women's show is, is a challenge uh i ought to bring you next time i go down to shimmer yeah we'll do a yes. uh, four hours on a friday night eight hours on saturday eight oh. hours on sunday oh, so not yeah, including and, the drive but, but, oh yeah it's a nine-hour drive each yeah. way too but uh, yeah, but it's but the thing is, you know, talent stands out, and um, Shimmer is where I saw Asuka. It's where I saw Paige. It's where I saw Bailey. Uh, all of these, not all, but a, a good Shayna Baszler. It's Kyrie Sane. Uh, well, no, Kyrie never made. It. I saw Kyrie at Cauliflower Alley Club. Uh, but seeing them at these venues, as in, in seeing them and saying, you know, they're they're different. They have something. They have star quality. Yeah and following their careers and seeing them make it to the stage. It's, it's really uh, something that I enjoy the most about doing what I do for PWI. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, you do a terrific job every year with, with the, uh, what was the female 50, what now is the women's 100, which you largely carry uh, on your shoulders. And uh, we appreciate that. And I think we are about to set a record for the longest podcast. So we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, it's been a lot of fun, uh, Dan, again, uh, thanks for everything. Thanks for all your work. Uh, thank you, fans, for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to, I'm sure, talk about uh, Crown Jewel and, and everything else that's going on. Thanks, Dan. Cheers. Cheers.